We last left off at I have no clue. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that you remember. Um, welcome back, everyone. Uh, you're listening to Happy Hour History, hopefully, unless you've clicked on the wrong podcast. Um, I'm Kaden, and my friend here, Megan, is going to be co-hosting uh, once again Hello. Uh, the end of our story about Hannibal. If you clicked on this and you didn't listen to the first part, you probably want to go back because there's i'm gonna say there's some pretty important backstory there i mean who knows though honestly it's your (laughs) choice but i would say probably start from the beginning but we're gonna be finishing up hannibal's story so the second half of his life until he may or may not die (laughs) he might spoilers he might still be kicking legend says he roams the earth to this day um, yes. just, just getting elephants drunk. <laughs> yes. So uh, we're going to be finishing up his story now. So if you don't remember from last time, there's definitely going to be some swearing in this podcast, some crude humor. We are barely adults, so we <laughs> laugh at everything stupid. And this is a comedy history podcast, so if you're surprised by that, please don't leave me mean comments. You can leave mean comments about other things, but um, probably not the swearing because we're pretty overt about that. And sorry, mom. But with that, we can begin. There's a battle called the Battle of Cannae, and it's in 216 BC, and this is like the most decisive battle. Well, one of the most decisive battles of like the middle of the war. Well, having said that, we're like actually only a couple of years in by now. So basically, the Romans wanted to end the war with one decisive victory, so they decided to take about twice the number of troops that they usually have, and that's about 70,000, depending on who you ask. Some numbers are a bit lower. And then Hannibal at this point had about 50,000, about 40 to 50,000 troops um, because it was his army plus like some of the other different groups that had added on to it. So he's about 50,000 at this point, but he's still outnumbered. And so unlike most of the times where I said that he could use the terrain to his advantage, this time at Kenai, they're fighting on flat land. So he doesn't have that. So what he does, and I'm going to use hand gestures, which obviously over a podcast makes no sense but i'll try to explain what i'm talking about what he does is he has the romans in the romans kind of come at him in in straight lines and so what he does is he has his army facing the romans in a crescent shape and like the bulge of the crescent is facing the romans i know right so the it's a it's a convex uh, crescent, if you're looking for, like, geometry terms. Ooh. What's the other one? Convex? Concave. Ah, that's the one. So, yeah. So, um, the, the, the crescent, um, is kind of like the bulge part is facing the Roman lines. And the Romans are in a straight line. Now, because he has fewer troops, he has his, it's quite a long line, but it's also very thin. And because it's bulging towards the Romans, it kind of looks like they're constantly advancing, 
even when they're mostly stationary. So they didn't really have to move very much because just like the perspective of having them wow. kind of closer to the Romans We've in the been middle a great part. Photographer, he really yeah, knows his angles. He understood those angles. Geometry. <laughs> so, so yeah. So the middle part of the crescent is closest to the Romans, and then the ends are a bit further away. And in this line, it's mostly the Iberians and the people from Gaul. And then on the flanks, you have the African troops, which is both the infantry and the cavalry. So foot soldiers and soldiers on horses. Horsey. The horsey boys. He loved the horses because he was once he was commander of those. He was an old school horse girl. Yeah, he was an old school horse girl. So... The Romans, because there was this kind of long, thin line, they, and the thing is, is that they knew the Gauls were, like, in the middle, and what they, they, they had this kind of understanding that the Gauls were very, um, kind of, like, passionate fighters, but that they tired quickly. Oh, okay. And so the Romans were like, oh, if we just freaking charge the Gauls, like, right in the middle there, we're gonna break their line really fast because they tire so quickly. So they charge at the line. Which, in hindsight, was a bad move. Because what happens is this line, which is... Did it they looks, flank them? Yeah. Basi- Did they circle around them? Yeah, basically, yeah. Oh, so what happens is... Oh, um, That's the, like rookie mistake. The line, which was originally bulging in the center towards the Romans, they start to... They they, they charge on the Romans' charge. And, and the flanks they're able... Well, they're, well no. So they're, what happens is that, that that kind of bulge at the front, they start they kind of start losing, I guess, and they start giving land, which makes the Romans think that they're winning because, in a way, they're... So they're just backpedaling. They're, yeah, they're kind of... They're just running It's not really a retreat, but they are kind of... They're getting through, which makes them think that the line's going to break. But what happens is actually the line, which was kind of a curve at first, becomes first sort of a flat line, and then eventually it kind of makes a crescent shape the other way. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, it's almost making like a, a bowl, po- a little pocket, like a bo- like, a yeah, like a pocket, pocket or a bowl a or something. So they make a pocket, and the Romans have now basically charged into this pocket, thinking that the line is breaking. When in reality, the ends of the line are actually kind of closing around them. And because you have the the um, African troops with the infantry and the cavalry on the sides, they are able to kind of box them in three on three sides, and then eventually they also get around the back. Yeah. So they're boxed in on all four sides yeah. and at that point especially because they fought they tend to fight in lines um they sort of the romans almost get kind of claustrophobic being boxed in this way and so even though they had more people they just couldn't fight their way out of it um they just got disoriented yeah it was just it, like i think off the i think i would be really spooked if that happened to me because they, they, that's not what they expected that battle to be like at Honestly, all. Honestly, they need to be more scrappy. Yeah, they need to be scrappier. So well, that's what happens when you have the bigger army. You're less scrappy. So what I was hearing from some of the modern historians was that um, 100 people per minute were killed. That's a lot Damn. of people. Now, I don't actually know how long the battle lasted. I don't think anyone really knows that kind of stuff. But um, Two whole minutes. <laughs> 50,000 Romans were killed. 12,000 Carthaginians were killed. And it was a decisive Carthaginian victory, but the problem was is that... Can you just imagine dying over something so dumb? Something so stupid. Like, you're like, oh, man, I want some of your islands. No, I don't want to give you my islands. Okay, then let's all die for it. Like, boo. (laughs) So dumb. Like, I wonder if they're looking down on us now going like... This podcast is making me angry all over again. Yeah, also, like, we're the result of, like... 
thousands yeah. of years of those dumb actions. I know. And like, look at what we've. Thank done. you so much for being dumb because now we can be dumb here <laughs> on this podcast. Um, and but in yeah. general. So yes. So twelve thousand Carthaginians killed was far fewer than the Romans, but the problem was that they didn't have that big of an army to begin with. So even though they win, it's kind of a pyrrhic victory because it's a big chunk of their army gone. But whatever, the Battle of Cannae was really important because it was a hugely decisive victory for mm-hmm. um, the Carthaginians, and many Roman allies actually switched sides at this point. Ooh. Um, so the tides are churning. The Carthaginians aren't so underdog anymore. Um, and then, now this is interesting. This is, I don't know how true this is. Again, I did try to kind of find in the sources where this originates from, and I couldn't quite figure it out. But there's a story that one of um, Hannibal's brothers, the one called Mago. That's like me. Mago like Megan, yeah. I'm going to call you Mago. Mago. Um, I sound like a cereal brand then. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, so Mago, supposedly the story is that they had taken all of the, like, gold rings off of the hands of the slain Romans. Ooh. And that he, Mago basically took them back to Carthage and, like, dumped them on the floor in front of the Carthaginian Senate to be like, Oh, that's Mike a drop, baller bitch. move. He's like, hey, I got this bag. And they're like, what's in that bag? And he's like, I got a fuck ton of rings. Like, what, like, I... Honestly, I would have expected, like, I wonder if he had some doves in there, too, for, like, effect. Like, they flew out. <laughs> doves just, just, like, fly out of the bag as the rings all spill. There's one dead dove, too, because, like, There's, like, whatever. a few fingers still attached, and, like, it would be too busy. Whatever. We just chopped him. It was more uh, time-sensitive. That's a pretty just... baller move. I respect the hell out Yeah, of that's, like, a, and that th- that's the thing. It's, like, I couldn't find the source for where that came from, but it's such an interesting story I really that I just that added it in. Anyway. I want it to be true. I believe it's true. I love it. It's Those a good one. fake rings true. <laughs> So at this point, the people of Rome, like in the actual city, yeah. are preparing to have to defend it because they've just lost this huge battle, yeah. and they're like, "We're gonna march on, bitch. We're done." What if you just like lived in a big like? What if because we're like in London? So yeah. what if like all of a sudden they're like, "They're coming! Like you have to defend it! Like we're just like we're just like living here! Like they're like gotta get ready to like take up arms and like defend the city." And I'm like, "But I'm like just." I'm not ready. Like, I'm, like, nobody. And they're Get like, ready. time to fight. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were preparing for that. And actually, I was reading that um, there were veterans of the army as well as, like, current current army members who basically were like, we don't even need paid. Like, we need to protect the city. Like, that's the most important thing. So they were pretty much willing to, like, wow. lay down and oh, die. Oh, my gosh. Um, like, lay down their lives to save the city. Um, so the problem is, is that Hannibal didn't want to attack Rome. Because he had had to leave all of his siege engines on the other side of the Alps. So trebuchets actually didn't exist at this time. No! As far as I know. I don't think so. I think they're more of a Middle Ages thing. Okay. Um, I mean, to be fair, all I know is that they're apparently the best siege engines. Yes. But, um, so the siege engines that he had, he had to leave them on the other side of the Alps. What did he have then? Elephants. <laughs> That's not a siege engine. Exactly. So he left those. No, like, I'm saying, what is a siege engine back then? Oh, um, I don't actually know. Just anything that I guess could break down big the old rock. wall. <laughs> I left all my big rocks on the other side of the mountain. God Dang damn it. it. It's not like we couldn't have picked some of those up on the way. Just like one giant slingshot. <laughs> like, all right, so Let's do it. Anyway, so he didn't have siege engines. Um, 
And when he asked Carthage to send him some, they said no. What? What'd you think about, like, maybe that's but why... he's, like, the hero. Maybe that's why Mega went and dropped all those rings. He's like, you won't send my brother his freaking siege engines? Look at what he did, bitch. But, like, why would they not? I don't know. They like, were just, just lazy. Like, I feel like I feel like all these senators are just sitting there. They don't like, care. They're like, the battle's not here, so we're not bothered. Um, no, the Senate, honestly, the Senate just gets worse. So if you're worried now, it's I just going to get worse. I'm already not a fan of them, so. Good, because it's, it's not going to be hot for them later. What are they going to do that's bad? You'll see, don't worry. So, um, I'm so intrigued. So he had a cavalry, like, commander called Ma- Maharbol, because everyone's name is basically Maharbol. the same. Everyone's name is basically the same. So Maharbol, um, at least it starts with a different letter, but similar kind of tone to it. Um, he criticized Hannibal for not attacking the Romans when they were weak. He basically said, um, he said to Hannibal, supposedly, you know how to win a victory, but you do not know how to use it. So obviously, like, hit them when they're weak and you're not doing it. Yeah. But it's, he didn't have his big rocks. (laughs) So that's exactly, he was like, I don't have siege engines. And even though the Roman troops are weak, we're also weak after that victory because we did lose people and they're just like they're tired like we're not ready to march on rome he's smart and the thing is he knew because like he was so worried about these siege engines he knew that it wasn't going to be a a battle so much as a siege so basically there were two ways that could have gone either they could have tried to take down the walls in which case then they could enter the city and it would be a battle the other option is that they block anything from entering the city for long enough that the people basically are starved out um, the problem was is that, again, A, he doesn't have siege engines, so he can't t- break down the walls. And B, he doesn't have enough people to do a prolonged siege where he basically, like, Just forces them. People, put two people at every door. Don't let them out. Bouncers. <laughs> Don't. Um, so he basically knew that either way he tried to play a siege, he wasn't going to be able to win. So okay. he decides not to. Basically, like, a lot of people now are like, if Carthage had just sent... Um, more men in supplies. Like, imagine how differently things could have gone. But they didn't. Yeah. They missed such an opportunity. Wow. Um, like the Coliseum. Now, at this point, they're... Is the Coliseum there? <laughs> they just... In Carthage? Coliseum not there. No. In Rome? No, it's not there yet, is it? Is it there? Uh, I don't think so. They could have burnt it down. I don't know when it was built. I mean, I know obviously it was used during the Empire, but I don't know if it was built before that. Anyways, um, I think even Carthage was missing one because like, they don't Well, have they could have built their own one. <laughs> they could have. They could have just copycatted. Um, anyways, at this point, like, there's several years that go by that I'm just kind of going to gloss over. What did he do? They did just they, like, take a painting? So like... he doesn't... No. So they keep fighting, but they just... He doesn't take Rome. He never fights Rome. Oh, so Like, Rome fight. the city. Um, so they keep fighting, and there's more, like, small battles, and there's a lot of instances where land changes hands. So Syracuse, for instance, this is just, like, an interesting side note. Syracuse is in Sicily, and it's kind of its own kingdom. And like I said in the beginning of this, Sicily had been given to the, like, had been taken by the Romans after the First Punic War. And um, then during this whole fight, the the Romans are, like, th- like kind of, like, like, lose power in Syracuse. Um, and it's not necessarily that Carthage gains it back, but it seems like, from what I understand, Syracuse kind of takes its own power, which yeah, is them. go girl. Um, the problem is, is that um, eventually the Romans kind of try to take back control. And um, so the Syracuse people, the Syracusians, I don't know, people of Syracuse, um, they fight, like, kind of alongside Carthage, from what I understand. Oh, okay. Or at least, enemy like, of my enemy is yeah, my friend. to try to fight the Romans. 
And this is actually the battle that Archimedes is involved in. So everyone kind of vaguely knows Archimedes is a mathematician. Um, and there are two interesting things about this. So um, a lot of people know about the claw of Archimedes. Um, so this is basically like a big crane that would have gone out onto like the ocean. Not like the ocean, but I guess like harbors kind of. Uh-huh. And could have, or I don't know, maybe, I don't really know how it worked, but basically it was like a big crane, so it was kind of like playing a claw machine, where it was supposed to be able to pick up um, a boat, and then basically like drop it again, back onto the water, so wow, it was so usually, fun. it would usually like capsize at that point, um, and then supposedly. How would they do that mechanic, though? I, I honestly think it's not true. Okay. Um, and then the other one is that he supposedly used mirrors, like a, like a whole series of mirrors to harness the light of the sun. To set things on fire. Now, that one actually seems a bit more plausible to me. Because, like... You know those, like, fun house, like, where they have the maze of mirrors? Yeah. You gotta just force them to all go through that. You better <laughs> get, get out of here alive! Well, in Big fairness... maze of mirrors. In fairness, he was setting boats on fire. So, trying to make boats go through a uh, mirror maze would have been really hard to set up. But it's not impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, guys, gotta navigate this big old maze I made for okay, you. Okay, so, guys, my name's Archimedes, and I would like to propose that we turn our ocean into a mirror maze. How do we do it? It's difficult, guys, and I respect that, but we're gonna give it a go. They're gonna run into so many walls, thinking it's a <laughs> passageway. Oh, it's gonna be so funny. So, yeah, so supposedly he created the Claw of Archimedes and these, like, mirrors that would create fire. Okay, so now, like magnifying glass and... Yeah. Okay. So from from what I understand, um, I don't think either of these things are necessarily true. There's actually an episode of another podcast called Our Fake History where he went into more detail on both of these. And to be honest, I remember the episode and I remember it being really good, but I can't remember if he decided they were myths or not, so it's worth listening to that. Um, but I'm going to call them presumably both myths. No. But, he did, but he did create things. The mirror one seems more plausible yeah. to me. Yeah, I mean, um, the claw machine I call fake. The claw, but. like, how would just, like, the the kind of physics of, like, Yeah, the, mechan- have... the mechanic of it, like, being able to grip. And then also, like, boats are maneuverable, and that would be so difficult. Just, like, this giant claw swing around, like, <laughs> wait, stop, guys. <laughs> Honestly, you could just use the claw to smash it. Like, if you made the claw, like, <laughs> you, you, yeah. You just, it just it just backhands the entire ocean. <laughs> Just bitch slams a boat out of water. So yeah, my basic my basic gut instinct is that that can't be true. But I would say if anyone's listening to this and they're like, "Wow, I'd love to know more," our fake history did a whole episode. So yeah, so listen to that. Instead of I'm this. not gonna get into that right now. Um, but Archimedes during this kind of fight against Syracuse was also eventually killed. Um, the Romans actually said, "Do not kill Archimedes." But when, supposedly, when, um, the, like, a Roman soldier found him, he basically, because, like, he, like, apparently knew that his city was, like, falling, but he was like, I'm a mathematician, I'm too busy, I don't care, I gotta keep doing my work. So when they came to get him, he was like, bitch, get out, I'm busy. And they were like, mm, I don't like that sass, and then they killed him. And the Romans were mad, because Aww. they were like, they were like, you weren't supposed to kill Math, him. bro. We wanted, yeah, the, the Romans wanted to, to keep be, him. To be fair, though, like, people get, like, if you're smart, you can get away with so much shit. Like, the guy, yeah. like, the guy who built all, like, the missiles for the Nazis, like, we, like, the states used him. Like, they're like, ah, oh, come join us and you can help us. Like, make our, like, space race or whatever the shit we can, like, I yeah, don't know. Like, he helped, like he... he helped us with, like space stuff and he yeah. was like a straight up nazi straight up nazi but as long as he wasn't helping the ussr it didn't he matter was, he was smart yeah so honestly smart guys. listen out there to all the smart people you can do whatever the hell you want because you'll be fine because you'll be fine Just as long as you're as like crimes as you want you have to be a smart science though you can't be like smart in anything else you do science yeah bro. yeah yeah you have to like do something that like is 
Cool. Yeah. Um, usually because it's, like, warfare stuff. Like, he was... If, supposedly the claw and meetings and stuff. Like, that's all warfare stuff. Yeah. So, if you can put math in a way that makes it killer, then, yeah, they want you. Just the boat bitch slapper. <laughs> the boat bitch. Um, so, anyways, um, at this point, like I said, they're, so they're fighting kind of small scale, and it seems like there's a lot of the guerrilla warfare kind of cat and mouse on both sides. Um, and that's why these years, like, to me, just, I mean, obviously, like, if you're a scholar of this, then these years are probably very important to you, but we're going to kind of gloss over them, because there's more important stuff to talk about. So, after um, the Battle of Cannae, the Romans also weren't that keen to take positions of command, because it kind of was like, uh, you might, like, die if you're in a position of command, because that battle wasn't so hot <laughs> for them. Um, Everyone's worried about getting assassinated. Well, that one was more of just a straight-up battle death. Okay. But, um... Wait, but didn't, like, the people in charge, like, stay behind the lines? Um, back then, I think it just depends on, like, what circumstances were. Like, but I think there were a lot more times where they would be pretty active. So there was a man called Scipio. Scipio. Skippy. That's another cereal name. (laughs) Isn't that a peanut butter name, Skippy? Yeah, Skippy peanut butter. Yeah, so this is a peanut butter name, not a... But you said Scipio. Yeah, Scipio, but I think Scipio. Anyways, um, so Scipio volunteered to take command. He was quite young at this time. He was also in his 20s. Uh, by this point, I would, I mean, I haven't done the math, but I would assume Hannibal's more like in his 30s now because time's gone by. Scipio's in his 20s, so he's fresh shit. Um, fresh shit. <laughs> which is probably why things go a little bit better for him. Oh, um, good for him. And so he's like the, like the hot shit that, you know, he knows, like, like Hannibal was, he was, like, a has-been. Scipio's the hot man in town. The hot man in town. Um, so he was only given originally 10,000 infantry men and 1,000 cavalry. Um, so he's, he's, uh, not hitting so hard, but he's a smart dude. So what he does is that Scipio, for the Romans, starts out by going to Spain. He doesn't fight Hannibal in Italy. He goes directly to Spain, and he's like, I'm going to defeat Hasdrubro. I want to, at this point, I'd like to remind you that Hasdrubal's real name is Hasdrubal, because we've just been doing this for so long, and I don't want anyone to think that we're dumb. So Hasdrubro, um, his brother, was still in Spain, and Scipio goes to fight him instead, and um, there would, basically that would mean that if he could defeat Hasdrubro, that Hannibal wouldn't be able to get reinforcements from Spain. And so, in 208 BCE, he defeated Hasdrubal at the Battle of, oh my god, I think it's Bakula? Bakula? Um, it's like B-A-E-C-U-L-A, which doesn't mean anything, Bay. Bay. The Battle of Bay. It was two attractive men fighting each other, and that's why it's the Battle of Bay. Hey. Um, Saucy. So, basically, he uses, from what I understand and what I read, he used the exact same tactic that Hannibal used with <gasps> Cannae against Hannibal's brother. Oh. Oh. I mean, so he's not even original, though. No, but it's like, but the thing is that if you think, like, communications being so slow, I guess nobody was, like, documenting to Hasdrubal being like, this is the exact tactic we used. It was amazing. And instead, they just didn't let him know. And Scipio was like, but I know. So he did it, and then didn't go so hot for the Carthaginians wow. this time, because it was used, used against them. Used against his own brother. Yeah. So, um, Hasdrubal knew that Spain was going to be lost, so he decides to cross the Alps. The problem is, is that he was then um, engaged in a battle by a man called Gaius Claudius Nero. No, not that Nero. Well, obviously not. I know. I wrote that on my notes, so just so that... That would be addressed, because we're not in the... It's not Horse Senate Nero. Yeah. No, that's that's a... Horse Senate is 
Um, Caligula. Oh, wait, Nero, but Nero's Nero was burning. Nero was burning crazy, around. right? Yeah. Okay. Um, he was just a bad guy. Yeah. He was just a bad wait, guy. Wait, was he Poseidon fight guy? Like, nope, also Caligula. God, why do I think... He was... Rome was burning and supposedly he fiddled, even though the fiddle wasn't actually invented he then. Fiddled. He fiddled? Nero fiddled while Rome burned. That's like the thing that people say. But the fiddle wasn't invented, so... Definitely didn't do that. Why do I think Nero's Caligula? I don't know. Caligula's also cool, though. Boy, Anyways. That, that bitch is crazy. So, yeah. So, Hasdrubal was defeated by a Nero, not that Nero, and he was killed in the battle. Um, supposedly, Hannibal discovered his brother was dead because the Romans threw his severed head at the sentries that were keeping watch over the Carthaginian camp. So, wowza. It's like a gift to you from us. Have a head. Oh, that's that's just not great. I just imagine like a cute little love note, like heart to Hannibal, love the Romans. Hey, bae, here's your bro. <laughs> um, so Scipio at this point he asks for more money from the Roman Senate so that he could take his army to Carthage mm-hmm. instead of to Hannibal in Italy, um, so that basically he would be forced to return to Carthage. And surprise, surprise, because Senate are the worst. The Senate said no. Two Why? more money. No one wants to give anyone any money. It's like, we want you to win this war, but here's no resources. Hey, so we're going to give you nothing. <laughs> the thing is, though, is that Scipio decides that he basically is going to shame the Senate to the people of Rome until the Senate eventually just agrees. So they gave shame in. Shame the Senate. Yeah, being like, oh, like, we, we could go, we could end this freaking war. Yeah, king shame him. <laughs> We could end this war if you just get if they just gave us the money, but I guess no one wants to do that. And the Senate's like, fine. So he gets the money, which is a first for Senate experiences in this story. Um, so basically, the whole battle then returns to Africa. So where actually it doesn't return; it goes to Africa for the first time. But this is also really when he he is in Hannibal ends up going back to Africa for like the first kind of considerable amount of time. Oh, okay. Um, so it's 205 BC now. So we've jumped by, like, a pretty decent amount of time since the Battle of Cannae. So there's a big chunk of time where they're just doing those, like, little skirmishes and stuff. When was Cannae? Uh, 216. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's been a... Ten whole years almost. Yeah, it's been a whole chunk. Um, and so Scipio allied himself with a Numidian king called Massinissa. This is a cool-ass name. Honestly, the, why can't we go back to, like, these weird names? I think I'm just going to have children named like, Hasdrubal. Like, there like, that, like, leader whose name was, like, Vercingetorix or something. Like, that's awesome. That's a name that you, like, you can't just be a regular person with that name. You have to be cool. Yeah. Like, you know you're meant for something good when your name is Massinese. Yeah, we're all out here being, like, I'm Megan. Karen. No, ouch. I feel called <laughs> I thought you meant your actual name. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, Karen. I mean... I respect that. That's a, that's a better example. I just thought you meant you... You're like, we're all out here. And I was like, well, yeah, you're out there being I Megan. Mean, to be fair, yeah, we all are uh, We all, you know, are We're all Megan. Well, okay. We're just all Megan. But anyways... We all wish we were Megan. Anyways. Like, everyone's... I mean, to be fair, people are out here, like, trying to name their kids, like... Like, normal names, but, like, with weird-ass spellings. If you're gonna do that, just get more inventive. Or, like, Nevea, which is, like, heaven backwards. So, people are nuts. Nevea. Yeah. Absidy. Oh, yeah. That's enough. Oh. Anyways, so Massinissa, um, he was the Numidian king, which is to the west of Carthage. and would have been, like, modern-day northern Algeria. Um, So, they're, like, again, one of these kind of tribal groups. 
Um, they had a really strong cavalry, and they were good with um, hit and run tactics, and also hit and run, hit and run. And then they no also license plate number. <laughs> there, I will not be leaving you my insurance information today. <laughs> Just write a fake note, being like, "Sorry, I hit your car." I have to write this so people don't give me mean looks. Uh, have a good day. <coughs> um, so they were good at hit and run tactics, and they were also, despite being a cavalry, they were trained to fight both on horseback and on foot. So they were really strong to have as an ally. And they were originally... How are not trained to do both? Well, I assume they were, but they like, were like... you just get, like, assigned one as a kid? They're like, you're going to be horses. Well, like, it, tends, it tends to be that cavalry people are a little bit wealthier because mm. of the horse involved. Okay. Um, do you have to supply your own horse? I don't know exactly who supplied the horse, but, like, you just, like, cavalry was kind of a more esteemed position to be like... Because if you think about it, even just, like... The look of it to be like on higher foot up. versus like higher up on a horse. Okay, it's just it's a whole look, you know. Okay. It's about that prestige, it's like that elephant. Prestige. Um, yeah, I would be out here riding an elephant. So they were originally allied. So the um, the Numidians were originally kind of allied to the Carthaginians, but they'd always been treated more as subjects than as allies. So they were using this as um, they were basically using the Romans to try to throw off Carthaginian control. <gasps> Having said that, that almost never works when you ally yourself with like a great power to like throw off another power because they're like, well, now you're ours, so whatever. Whatever. They try. Yeah, they think they're, like, gonna be, like, liberating themselves. And, and it doesn't like, always ah, work. just kidding. Anyway, so, yeah. So, uh, Massinissa allies with Scipio. They capture the Carthaginian city, Utica. And mm-hmm. then they start marching towards Carthage. And Hannibal was recalled from Italy, which is exactly what they wanted to happen. <gasps> so, not great, but he does have to protect his town. Hannibal had never fought Scipio before because he was newer. Uh, he only knew him as the man who had defeated his brother. And so eventually in 202, they fight a battle called the Battle of Zama. Or Zama. I don't know. I'm just going to say Zama. And so Scipio arranged his troops in like the typical Roman fashion. So just like right. the lines. Or at least that's what it looked like. So Hannibal thought it was a typical battle. Um, but Scipio had actually studied Hannibal's tactics. Obviously because he'd used one of them already. So we know that he kind of knew how this was going to work. Um... Hannibal was also at this point using untrained elephants because they'd gone through so Those many amateur elephants. Yeah, so these elephants scare too easily, um, and so they panic and they're dangerous to everyone, including the Carthaginian. So it's not great, but he like had to do what he had to do. So Scipio had because he was trying to be trickier this time. He has his front line a horizontal line that, and that's what Hannibal was able to see. But behind that, instead of having more horizontal lines just going back and back and back, he is smarter, and he decides that he's going to have actually kind of like vertical columns of men behind this front line. Yeah. So you can't see it. Um, what happens is, is that Hannibal has his elephants charge, trying to mow down these lines, but basically the front line just broke, and like they all kind of like sidestepped. <laughs> And the elephants, I mean, I don't know how they perfectly figured this out. I guess a lot of it was just kind of, like, watch and move. But they basically were able to get the elephants to run, like, right down the aisles that the people made. So the elephants didn't hit anyone, really. I mean, they probably hit some people, but, like, overall, they just kind of ran down the natural aisles. I mean, I don't think those elephants were, like, trying to kill anyone. I think they are just Just running. They are just running. They're the true victims. (laughs) Yeah, so they run down these columns, these aisles, kind of, made by the people, and at the end of that, there is a man there who kills the elephant rider. Aww. And then... Wait, someone was riding him? 
Yeah. There's always a rider on the elephant. Usually. Oh, I so, anyways, they, I thought they just set him loose. No, it's like a handler kind of person. So was that person on there like, go get that? Out. Like, get out of the people on the elephant's like, no, bitch, I'm trying to run away. Um, so yeah, they killed the elephant rider, and they basically—I mean, I don't really know how you would do this. Maybe you just have to treat it nicely or something. But they would turn the elephant around. Just kind of scooch it on the butt a little bit. Like, yeah, just like scooch. <laughs> um, you're like you're trying to do it quickly. Like, hello, elephant, you're so nice, but I really need you to turn right now. Please, excuse me. Excuse me please sir. don't kill me, but also turn. Excuse me, sir. You're blocking the aisle. Excuse me, I need you. But to- no. So basically, what they did is they turned the elephants and had them run down the aisle the other direction because elephants don't care what side they're on. They just run it what they're pointed at. Elephants so as soon are, as they pointed them, are fiercely loyal. No, <laughs> to, to other elephants, yes. Um, so they, yeah, they turned them and then basically had them run right back down the aisle at the Carthaginians and the Carthaginians were in like normal ish kind of lines. So that was just a fucking mess. Like it would have been if, if Scipio had had his army the normal way. I'm new fan of Scipio. So Scipio was really smart. a bad bitch. He was smart. He knew what he wanted and he got what he wanted. Um, so yeah, so the elephants then kind of decimate the, um, Carthaginian army, which I love that like kind of ironic, like... Like, it's just, it's, what am I thinking? Um, poetic irony or yeah. poetic justice yeah. that you're, like, killed by your own elephants. Mm. So that's, that's kind of basically the end. I mean, the second Pyrrhic, the second Pyrrhic, sorry, the second Punic War um, ends with this battle. So this is really, like, kind of um, what ends his military career. And it was 17 years after it began. So he was doing so his due for a long, long time. God. Yeah. Um, so after the war, this is kind of the end, but basically after the war, because he wasn't dead. So he kind of missed out on having, like, the glorious battle death. Um, so they made peace with Rome, and Rome demanded the Carthaginian fleet, so they're no longer, like, sea people at all. They basically took, like, all of Iberia, and they had an indemnity to be paid of um, no less than 10,000 talents. I don't actually know what a talent is like. I mean, obviously, it's like a money, but just, <laughs> hey, I'm really good at jump rope, all right? I'm or a great quick, singer. Can we, yeah, can we carry what about, like, What about, like, juggling? Anyway, so, yeah, 10,000 talents, which is some form of, I guess, money. And um, it had to be paid in installments. And so um, this whole kind of loss of the war and these retributions that had to be given over um, shifts the balance of power in the Mediterranean decisively towards the Romans. And that's pretty important because later on they may or may not become an empire. What? I don't I don't Spoilers. know. I don't know, God but it, it may happen. I was just um, about to watch that season, too. Um, Hannibal was then made to resign as general. No. At this point, he's only 46 years old. So he's not I mean, even that old. I mean, that's kind of old for back then, though. Well, I mean, it's not that old, though. Yeah, but, like, didn't people, like, die at, like, 30? Mm, it depends. Um, statistics tend to be really skewed low because so oh, many people die. Yeah, yeah, so okay. many people die right. as a baby. Okay, okay. Um, so, yeah, so he, he was only 46. He doesn't even die at this point. Um, <laughs> he doesn't even die at well, this point. you know, I'm you're a hot shame if you're thinking that your own elephants mow you down. <laughs> if you're thinking that 46-year-olds are, like, old, like, he's still he's still kicking. He's just yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. doing his due. Fine, fine, fine. So he was actually elected to be the chief magistrate of Carthage, and he makes a bunch of reforms, which is really good because they were made to pay these indemnities, and indemnities are meant to be enough money that it basically cripples the economy of the place um, that loses a war so that they can't ever really fight back, like they can't recover. Um, 
But actually, because of the reform he makes, um, they're actually able to pay these indemnities off pretty quickly, and they don't really need to raise taxes at all. Um, So he does a really good job being magistrate. Having said that, the reforms he makes really hurt, you know, quote-unquote, really hurt Mm -hmm. the powerful Carthaginians. (laughs) They weren't pleased about that. So they told Rome who had just beaten them in a war, like, five years before. They actually told Rome that Hannibal was trying to attack Rome again with the help of the Seleucid Empire. Um, Now, the Seleucid Empire, this is how I knew that Alexander the Great had to come first, because the Seleucid Empire was its own thing now, but it had grown out of one of those territories that had been governed by, like, a de- not, like, a descendant, but one of those families that had gained power through Alexander. Oh, so, like, okay. like, if you think about, like, Egypt and the, um, like, Cleopatra's whole family, the Ptolemies, mm-hmm. they, the Ptolemies gained Egypt because of Alexander the Great. They weren't even Egyptian? No, they were Greek. So, different families kind of gained territories after Alexander had conquered these places. And so, the Seleucid Empire is, like, what happens after that territory kind of fell. Yeah. So, from what I understand, it was, like, Turkey, Syria, Palestine, Iraq, and Iran. Like, around that whole area. Yeah. And so... Deserty. So, basically, yeah, they... The Carthaginians turned on their own chief magistrate, and they told Rome that Hannibal was allying them, himself with the Seleucid Empire to try to take to take over Rome. And no one's really certain if this is true or if it was just a story made up to get rid of him. But either way, like... If we're talking about senators sucking, yeah, this is the thing I was talking about. Like, oh, it's not us. They literally, because they, they probably just made the story up to get rid of him because they took away he took away their money, so they wouldn't cripple their economy trying to pay these indemnities back. So he makes reforms to help the people, and they're like, but what about our money? And it's like, well, you're doing all right over there, Mister Bill Gates, Bill Gates of the Carthaginian Empire. <laughs> Or Jeff Bezos or whatever. Ah, oh, screwed. Anyways. Um, so they were mad. So they made up this whole story to get rid of him. And it works because um, the Romans basically came to, like, question him. No. And he fled to the Seleucid Empire. So he's in exile. He basically went to serve as a military expert to several different eastern kings. So he starts out with um, Antiochus of Syria, Antiochus III. And he gave kind of minor naval commands. Hmm. No, he was, sorry, he was given a minor naval command. So he wasn't even given, like, a good job. They were like, ah, whatever, just do this minor naval thing. And, um, because they didn't trust him, really. Yeah. And then he actually lost a battle to Rome's ally Rhodes. So not even to Rome, but just to their, like, random ally. Um, which is kind of a slap in the face. Um, after being given this crappy naval command. Yeah, he's like that dude going through, like, a midlife crisis, where it's like, everything's going wrong. <laughs> so, it was first Antiochus of Syria, then it was the king of Armenia, and then King Prisius I of Bithynia. Now, that sounds like I'm Bithynia. trying to... It sounds like you have a lisp, but it really is Bithynia. So, sorry if that sounds weird. I thought it sounded weird. Where is that? Bithynia? I don't know. Somewhere in the east. <laughs> Girl. I didn't... Sorry, I didn't... I didn't write it down. I think I actually did look it up. Um, so he had... So he was using his military knowledge to try to help these kings, usually to fight the Romans. But even though they kind of liked him and they respected his knowledge, they always treated him with suspicion because he wasn't from their own territory. So wow, they were kind racist. of... They were like, mm, you might not really be loyal to us. 
Um, so when he was when he was helping that third king, Prisius the first of Bithynia, um, they were at war with the Pergamene king, Eumenes the second. God, these are getting weirder. I'm sorry. Um, and Hannibal helped them to win a battle. He helped Bithynia to win a battle against the Pergamon people. Pergamon. In 184. Like Bergamot. Hmm? Bergamot. T. Oh, I don't know that. It's Earl Grey. There you go. I knew that. Um, so he helps them to win this battle against Pergamon. Um, and, you know where that is? Um, I assume next door. Oh, my gosh. Um, Bithynia and Pergamot, the mystery areas. Maybe they just were swallowed up by the Earth. The mystery areas, exactly. Um, it's and like so, Earth's secret spot. Yeah, it's like Atlantis. <laughs> um, so Just ancient kingdoms. So Rome decided to help Pergamon to fight against Bithynia, and eventually they had to come to terms. And so Rome basically told Bithynia one of the terms of peace was that they demanded that Hannibal be handed over. No! Um, now, Hannibal dies before he could be extradited to Rome, sometime between 183 and 181 BC. Now, there's two stories that I found on how he died. One of them's the lame story, and one of them's the better story. Yeah. And start with the lame story. So, Pausanias, um, who was writing in about, like, he was born in 110 AD, so he was okay. writing after that, obviously. Oh, wow, like quite a bit after. So we're about plus 300 years here. And so, you know, it's he's not at all contemporary to these events. That's like us trying to write about, like... The 1700s. This, yeah, we're just like, okay, so there's this dude. The Revolutionary War. His name's George. Yeah. George Washington. Minor character. It's all about... He might be important later, we're not sure. Anyway, so Pausanias wrote that um, Hannibal was wounded in the finger by his drawn sword when he proceeded only a few states. Like a tetanus or something? Yeah, his wound caused a Lame. fever and he died on the third day. So his wound from a drawn sword on his finger gave him a fever and he died three days later. I even wrote on my notes, lame and bold. So I'm glad you said it was lame. Um, so Pausanias' story is dumb. I mean, honestly, it's plausible because like... People to die of infections. You know, back then, like, everything was, like, hella unsanitary. Yeah. Like, unsanitary to the nth degree. Honestly, like, generally, if you're learning about history and there's a boring story and a cool story, it's almost always true that the boring story is real. Having said that, the, both of these people who are writing this um, are writing it way later, so there's really no way to know who's correct, um, which is why I don't tend to believe the Pisania story, or I choose not to, because... There's nothing about his story that is any more plausible than what happened in the other one. Okay. The other one that's more interesting, so there's a man called Juvenal, which is a terrible name now. Mm -hmm. um, he was born, so his dates are a little bit more questionable, but he was born in the late 1st century AD, and he was writing in the early 2nd century AD, so he would have been writing just kind of before Pausanias. Yeah. Um, but they would have been basically contemporaries. Um, he would have been a little bit older. He would have been probably like 20 years older than Pausanias. Um, minimum 20. Those 20 years really help when you're 300 years out. Yeah. So, you know, he knows everything because it's just 20 years closer. Um, but so he said that Hannibal chose to poison himself rather than be taken by the Romans. And that like, honestly... Like an old school cyanide pill. Well, that makes a lot more sense to me because he knew that the terms with Bithynia were that they had to hand him over. And the Bithynians did not really have a, like an alliance or like an allegiance to him. So they're like, yeah, we'll hand him over, whatever, if we get peace from that. 
Um, so it makes more sense to me that he would have poisoned himself rather than be taken because they probably would not have been very kind to him considering that, you know, even though, I mean, they respected his ability, but yeah, it know. wasn't, the outlook was bleak. Yeah. It wasn't going to go so hot for him. How did he poison himself? Did they say how? So no, so that both of those things are definitely in the sources. Um, and then I was reading from a secondary source. And I couldn't find this listed necessarily in the primary back in the juvenile text. Um, but somebody said that he might have had a ring that he wore that had the poison in it. <gasps> so, like, always ready. Baller. He was basically always ready. That is ready. like an old school sign yeah. of pill. He had it always just with him so if he needed cool. to poison himself. And I also thought it was interesting that the whole story with his brother, like, the dumping rings. the rings. What happened to his brother? Um, I actually don't know. His one brother obviously died. So he just, like, showed up and just had a fuck ton of rings, and he's like, hey, that's when he to, time to sign out. He stops being important. <laughs> Got to clock from, out of this story. I'm yeah, done at, with this. At least from my perspective, he stopped being important. He may have done other cool things, but whatever he did, I didn't find them. So Honestly, can you imagine all the people back then who, like, did cool stuff, but we'll just, like, never know about it? We'll never know about it. Maybe one day we'll do cool stuff, and then... 200 years from now, nobody will know about it. I mean, yeah, but to be fair, everything is recorded nowadays, so someone could probably find out if they wanted to. Yeah, we should record all the cool things we do, like, on a podcast or something. What? What if we <laughs> yeah, just... just talk about... So, today, <laughs> I, like, I got this sandwich for free, and oh my god, I won an award, and blah, blah, blah. I what? What? I don't know. I got that whole story. I don't... None, I've, well, I did not get a free sandwich today. And you didn't win an award? No. Those two things just didn't really make sense to me. I don't me. know. I was trying to think of cool things. Because I went in hard with the sandwich. And then I was like, actually, that's not that cool. And then I tried to remedy that with a ward. But I couldn't tie them together at that point. Well, anywho. Um, so, actually, yeah. The end of Hannibal's story is basically he loses a big old war. And then he dies. Maybe by poison. <laughs> he so, loses and dies. The end. He's he's very well respected, and people do still study his tactics. Like, Napoleon was known to study the tactics of Hannibal and um, Alexander the Great and those kind of people. So, like, he's very well regarded, but obviously he's sort of the biggest loser because he's cool, Poor but kid. also... Yeah, but those elephants, though. It didn't end so hot for him. But, so, yeah, that is actually the end of his story. Um, so thanks everyone for listening to the first ever episode of Happy Hour History. And thanks Megan for being my guest host today. Woo-hoo. I'm glad you learned about this ridiculous person. I'm glad you recommended that, um, I research him cause it was a lot more interesting than I even knew. Like I knew the elephants and I knew about the color purple and that was kind of it. It's just those, those I really milk and forced, snails. I really forced that color purple thing in there just cause I knew the story and I thought it was interesting. But yeah, so thanks for recommending this. It was so fun. For anyone who's listening, you can follow me on Twitter at, um, it's at Happy History Pod. Please um, do. Contact Kaden. She is full of knowledge and a beautiful person. Thank you. Um, I'm looking to do some more episodes soon. So hopefully, depending on who the guest host is, sometimes they'll submit things that they want to learn. Sometimes it's things that I want to research and teach. Um, but the other thing is, is that because it's kind of, it's an open-ended podcast, so I don't really have, like, a set theme. It's just history. If anyone wants to recommend something that they would like to hear about, you can, you know, tweet at me or email me or whatever, um, and I would like to research whatever it is that that you guys want to hear, because to be honest, the things that I know best are, like, British history and then, like, some of Europe post, um, like, Middle Ages, which is kind of what I'm most familiar with, so I'm worried that I'll get kind of caught in that. So 
So if anyone has anything that I maybe wouldn't think to, to research, that would be really cool. Um, this one was actually great because it probably would have never been the first thing I would have thought to do, but here it is the first episode. So that's really cool. I know Megan also wanted to learn about Gaul. So maybe we'll get that episode one day. And other things. It's not just Gaul. I'm not just concerned with this specific time period. But just Gaul. Also, weirdly enough, it was like, it was Hannibal, Gaul, and like William and Mary. And I was like, we've jumped. I mean, I'm just trying to branch. I'm trying to provide She's trying to expand her knowledge. Yeah, I know nothing. Actually, well, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. I know nothing. (laughs) But yeah, so basically, thanks for listening to the first episode and subscribe to the show because hopefully there'll be another one. I'd like to do a second episode. Yeah. Hopefully. But thanks for tuning in. That's it. How did we start this? Did you introduce us? We'll be right back.